What's going on, Packers fans? Aaron Nagler here with Cheesehead TV, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Andy Herman, to talk some football on the precipice of the day when the 53-man roster will be selected, the initial 53, as they like to say. Andy, how the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing great. Always a fun time of year. Everyone's got their prognostications of who's going to make the initial 50. It's like filling out your March Madness bracket. So it, uh, it's become that, right? It really much, has. People, everybody's, what's funny, though, you know what happened about five, six years ago? I stopped doing it for that exact reason. I used to do it every year, like for a decade. And then finally, I'm just like, you know what? Everybody's got a 53-man roster projection. I just, I'll let everyone else handle it. Like at Cheesehead TV, I let Al does it every year. And I'm like, I'm happy to let him do it. I just, at some point, it's like paralysis analysis. And you just want to like go and let it all kind of happen. Like Christmas will arrive. We'll open our presents and it'll be great. But. There are precious few people on this planet who's 53 I do pay attention to. And Andy, you are one of them. Appreciate uh, that. Every year, you always have a kind of an interesting take. And this year, uh, I love the idea of keeping eight wide receivers, if only because it'll melt Twitter's brain. <laughs> like some people will love it. Some people will hate it. What is your thinking behind the number of wide receivers that Brian might keep? Yeah, no, the, my my process every year is just to see what will melt Twitter's brain. So no, we're on the same page. So Very good, uh, very good. Excellent. No, I, you know, here's where I'm at with everything, right? So like, I think things have changed a little bit with the 16-man practice squad. And more importantly, the ability to play, you know, bring put up from the practice squad and play them yeah. three times each and those sort of things, right? So uh, I think Brian has made mention of it on multiple occasions. They're looking at this as a 69-man roster. And I think when you start getting to that point, you start thinking a lot more of like, okay, what players do we really not want to lose? What players do we think if, if this, if we release this player, they have the ability to potentially get claimed. And clearly you can't just go with like, you know, two defensive linemen or two corners or something like you can only call up so many players. So there has to be certain boxes that are checked. But when you start talking about, you know, whether it's seven or eight or six wide receivers or four tight ends or four or five edge rushers, like those sort of things can be supplemented week in and week out by the addition of practice squad players. So I looked at it as a much more of like, okay, what players have shown me enough that I think if they would potentially be released, they could get claimed and Green Bay may not want to lose those players. And, you know, for me, it's really tough because I, I, I think Lazard Watkins Cobb are clearly going to be Rogers veterans that he wants and is going to throw the ball to a ton. Clearly Watson and Dobbs aren't going anywhere. I can't imagine Brian giving up you know, on Amari Rogers, a third round pick that they moved up for a season ago, who's actually started to show some signs. And even if they did trade him, it would be pennies on the dollar. Winfrey has been Rogers guy all camp. And I can't imagine they're going to Kumaro him the way that they did Jay Kumaro. I love that you made it a verb. That's great. It, absolutely. <laughs> and then like Samori Toure becomes the interesting one because he's shown That's to me. That's the this, demarcation line, right? Exactly. I mean, it absolutely is. He's shown enough to me where like he had the deep ball, um, you know, during Saints practice where he caught the 50 yard touchdown to end the practice. And then the two point conversion had the deep ball in family night It's done well in preseason games. Uh, there was a, a mini camp or a, a training era, mini camp or an OTA, one of the two where there's a two minute drill where like right away he caught like three or four passes on the drill. Like he's just been relatively consistent from day one. And, you know, could you cut him and maybe get away with it or do you lose him and does it really matter? Maybe not, but he'd be the one that to me is interestingly enough that I, I would just want to keep around and not, not try to, you know, test fate too much. Yeah. And that absolutely makes sense. And to your point, the new rules or new ish rules now regarding the practice squad, the expansion of the practice squad, the ability to bring guys up, hell, the ability to bring guys back from injured reserve, even though they did kind of go backwards in that regard 
Uh, now there's once again a limit to the number of guys you can do that per year. But all of those things add up to, I think, to your point, you know, there's a whole lot more malleability now. And more than ever, it's the yeah. initial 53 rather than the 53. Um, it is interesting, though, to see you because you have to make a trade off somewhere, right? If you're going to keep eight wide receivers, you got to make trade trade offs at other positions. For me, most notably at running back, right? Where you have them just keeping AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones, which a thousand percent, you know, that makes a world of sense in the idea that whoever that third back is going to be isn't going to be seen the field over those guys in any meaningful way, unless there is an injury. But that's the key. You get into a game and there's an injury at that position. Now, suddenly you've gone from, okay, we've got maybe a third guy to throw in there as part of the rotation to, well, now you got to gut out this week, whatever game that might be. Maybe it's week one in Minnesota, where now all of a sudden that guy has to tote the rock 100% of the time. And I'm not saying that that's like they can't do it and they can't get through it, but that's a pretty significant risk, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think there's some risk there, but you know, to me, it's again, how, do you feel like Tyler Goodson's going to get claimed on waivers? If you do, then maybe you keep nope. him around and he's shown enough. If not, right. then you put him and Patrick Taylor and maybe even a Dexter Williams, but at least two of those guys on your practice squad and you call a guy up every single week for the next at least four weeks. And then you probably get Kylan Hill back and add him as right. the third running back on your roster and you're good to go after that. So I, I think if you care about Tyler Goodson enough and you don't want to subject him to waivers and you really like what he's put on tape, then by all means you keep them. But I would just be hesitant to make the decision of like, okay, but what if Jones or Dylan get injured to me that the calculus doesn't change if Goodson's on the roster or the, the practice squad, because if he's on the roster and Jones or Dylan gets hurt, then you're going to go with either Dylan and Goodson or Jones and Dylan. If you call up Goodson right. from the practice squad, you're either going to go with Jones and Goodson or Dylan and Goodson. Right. So it, right. it doesn't change all that much. I get like the, the perception of it being like, oh, it's scary. There's only two running backs. I was actually shocked because I've been talking about this for two months and I thought I was going to be cool and suave and be like, I'm the only guy that thought <laughs> of this. And then now every single person, Domovsky, <laughs> Ryan Wood, Matt Schneidman, right. Bill Huber, myself, we all had two running backs that made the 53. So it's not cool or risque anymore. It's just it's the status <laughs> quo. And I'm all bummed out about it, Aaron. But I, Well, I still you know, well, hey, no, but there's another place on this uh, 53 man roster projection uh, from Andy Herman that I found interesting and it's not really, I mean, it's not a, you know, something totally outside the box or anything like that, but I did find it interesting that you put Jonathan Garvin on the practice squad uh, and kept Tipa over him. What's your thinking there? I mean, I understand. I probably agree in the sense that Tipa is a, to me, probably a more complete guy surprisingly, because I thought yeah. for sure he'd be run over in the running game. And he is pretty much, not I'm not gonna say prove those fears unfounded, but he's played a hell of a lot better in that regard than I would have ever expected. Uh, but what was your thinking there? Because to me, you know, with the snaps that we saw Garvin give them last year, is it just a sense of like he's had you think Teep has had a better camp, or is it just more versatility with that player? Yeah, there's a couple things here. Let me let me pull back the curtain a bit. I can pretend that I kind of know other positions. I have no idea at edge rusher four, five, six, like how these right. how they're gonna differentiate these. Uh, for edge rushers behind Enigbare and then obviously Gary and Preston, I think is going to be one of the most interesting because at different parts of training camp, I would have been like, okay, Tipa's a lock or Garvin's <laughs> a lock or right. Hamilton's a lock or even Kobe Jones had the run, the run where he got reps with the one. Bit. He had like two or three days, right? Like, <laughs> okay, so he's strange. like at, at every, and right. then all of them quieted down to some capacity at all different times as well. The, the where I went here, and this is where I kind of have the same view 
with running back as I do with edge rusher. To me, you could cut all four of these guys. And at minimum, I think you're getting three of them back on the practice squad. I don't think any of them are getting claimed. Maybe one of them does, but I think you can, you know, release them, get guys back, probably keep four initially, and then, you know, elevate a guy on game day if you absolutely need to. But that's where I kind of came out on it. And the reason I went with Tipa is I feel like he's just been the most consistent player going back to last season through training camp, through preseason, OTAs, et cetera. It's not always flashy. It's not always sexy. He's a bit undersized, but he's been the most consistent. And I think he might have the most value on teams of the four as well. I go back to Jonathan Garvin. Not that this, again, I always preface this. It's not the be all end all, but I had Garvin as my lowest rated Packer a season ago. I didn't think his tape was that good. I actually was semi excited about him coming off his rookie season on a couple flash plays he had on tape. Then last year, I thought he really struggled. And then he had the OTAs and mini camps that were non-mandatory that he didn't attend. Maybe he had a phenomenal reason. I don't know. Um, but like you don't you want to see players like that at those events. And then I just sure. didn't think he had a good enough camp to maybe make up for all of that. So would not shock me. I think everyone else had Garvin on their 53. Um, so he's definitely well within the realm of conversation there. Um, but I, I think that is probably the one I'm going to be most interested in tomorrow as we look at the edge rushers and see who they ultimately kept. Because if you told me they kept four or six or they claimed a guy or traded for a guy like oh, that, that's the position right? that I think is most interesting. I think it's the one that could potentially i mean you never really know but could potentially see the most action all year long simply because of what you're talking about um getting back over to the offensive side of the ball found it interesting you kept caleb jones is it just a question of big man look good and you're afraid of letting an athletic tackle hit even the potential of the waiver wire yeah, I think, you know, Rashid Walker, same thing, right? I think, you know, Green Bay has been pretty darn good at finding offensive linemen everywhere, undrafted, you know, late round picks and, you know, developing them and making them into decent players. So, you know, it's maybe a thing where like, if they lose those guys, maybe they just don't care. And they're like, we can find another Caleb Jones and Rashid Walker next year. And we're not going to lose any sleep over it. But like, I think for most teams, if you get guys that look that good at the offensive line position as developmental prospects, you're usually pretty hesitant to move on usually want to see what you can get out of them as a ceiling. Now, maybe this is a, a bit aggressive, but like, if you told me Caleb Jones was the next, you know, Yash Nyman, you know, where he put in two, three years on the practice squad and then developed into a pretty solid swing tackle. I think that's well within the realm of possibility and freaking Rashid Walker, man. Like he didn't get any team reps or anything. You, you battled injuries, got some hard coaching. He does. He gets one game and about 40 snaps in one game to say like, go out and show what you can do. I thought he was fantastic in that game. I know it's against second and third stringers, whatever, but like, I don't think you could have asked him to do anything more. And again, I'm just hesitant to give, and listen, everyone came out of the draft weekend is like, man, the Packers got a a steal in Rasheed Walker in the seventh (laughs) round. What what that means, who knows? Right. But like, I know a lot of people were excited about that pick. I think he gets one opportunity to go in a game looks great. And then I just think releasing him after that and subjecting him to waivers and maybe losing him. I, I don't know. Again, I think you can, you know, get by with other players released at other positions that are unlikely to get claimed Jones and Walker likely to get claimed at a position that is always hard for teams to find. No doubt. I mean, you look at across the league, tackle play, offensive line play in general. I think that's a a safe bet, especially with, like you say, you know, it's funny because sometimes you'll hear Brian talk about, he's mentioned it a couple summers now where that final preseason game can really mean a lot as far as whatever your calling card is as a player, not just for the Packers, but then league wide, you know, if you're a scout or a personnel guy, yeah, you're probably going back and looking at those first couple games, but you're most likely reaching for the most recent game as far as like, okay, what's this kid done? And like you said, he he put on a show. I thought he looked really good in that game. 
No, totally agreed. And I think the other thing too, is that like, we always think that like, all right, all 32 teams are vying for the same shot at a Super Bowl. Like there's a good chunk of teams that are looking to get the, you know, just find talent and unearth talent at this yep. point. They're not trying build to win Super Bowls. The they want to build up the base and finding guys like Rashid Walker or Caleb Jones that they can get off of weight especially those guys that are really low on the waiver priority. Like they're going to be looking for guys exactly like that developmental prospects that could be good two, three years down the road. And again, if I'm green Bay, I just maybe be hesitant to do that. I can't believe you let go of my guy in this gains and your guy, KB on into what is this world coming to man? I know it's, it's a hard world. I like, I honestly probably maybe would have kept gains had it not been for the most recent injury, but with the, another hamstring injury, it just feels like he's probably going to be one of those guys that's released with an injury designation. And those always just get messy and they never end up back on the team. And hopefully I'm wrong. I think he's a really fun player. Um, and I'd love to see him on the team in some capacity, or maybe they just IR him and keep him for the year and bring him back next year. We'll see. But, um, you know, I think that's the reasoning there. And then I just think Ento, like at this point, they've, uh, I think this is his third training camp now. Yes, where he's, right. Uh, had an at some point, it's like if it was going to flip the switch, it was going to happen. They, yeah. And listen, he, he had probably the play of training camp with a ridiculous leaping one handed interception. interception right. Like just, Play. Now, he's good for like one or two of those every training camp that makes you go, man, if you could just put it all together, but not <laughs> right. a great special teams guy, not a great tackler. He's an okay cover guy, phenomenal ball skills for a corner, but that only gets you so far. Um, I just think, like you said, at this point, if it hasn't completely flipped the switch, I, I just don't see it happening. What about, uh, you talk about these guys that probably out the door in the secondary, but what about this Abernathy kid? I mean, you talk about a guy who I think we talked about him last week, but I can't stop watching him. He is so physical and so decisive. Do you think he, I mean, I don't know. Obviously so much can play out as far as claims and trades and cuts and what have you, but man, I really think he's got a chance to help this team and be a pretty solid depth piece. What do you think? Yeah. The last three that I really struggled with were, were Heflin, um, Tyler Goodson and Abernathy were the three that like, I really didn't want to release and wanted to keep in some capacity. Like he just feels like, I know they were in different situations. I know uh, Chris Barnes was like an undrafted guy for them right out the gate and they didn't sign him midway, but he just sort of feels like this season's Chris Barnes where like, you didn't really see anything coming out of the guy, but like you go back and watch it and you're just like, man, there is something there. And he had all the physical tools coming out, ridiculous athletic profile. And for whatever reason, hadn't clicked up until this point. I mean, man, give, give the scouting staff a ton of credit for just finding guys like this. And who knows, maybe he's on the practice squad. Maybe he doesn't make the roster at all, but like an impressive enough three preseason games that it makes you turn your head and go like, man, this, this, this scouting staff knows how to find guys. And uh, he's one of those guys. I would not be shocked at all if he was on a 53-man roster, whether it's Green Bay or another team um, come the you know opening week. What do you think of the release of Ty Summers? Did that surprise you at all? I know some people thought it was a kind of a foregone conclusion, which I get because of the additions they've made at the position of inside backer, et cetera. But for a team that has struggled mightily at special teams, I know Ty is not a world beater, but he has been a core team guy. Did that surprise you at all, or was it pretty much a foregone conclusion? Yeah, don't mean to seem like a jerk to Ty Summers here, but I was surprised he didn't get released on the 85, and then I was released. Right. He was surprised he didn't get released on the 80. And just <laughs> the reason being is that, you know, I know he, he actually played the most special team snaps of any Packer this preseason, which gives, I think, sort of the indicator of like, okay, he's a core special teams guy. But in a lot of those practices, he was not with the ones in the core special teams like he had been in the past. 
And he'd been right. running as the number six inside linebacker, but you know, behind even Ray Wilborn. And of course you had all the, the new, you know, Chris Barnes is playing great and McDuffie looks way better. You've got Quay Walker in there. So, you know, I, I just think that his time at inside linebacker was, you know, he's had his opportunity to show himself sort of like the same KB Nento thing, right? He's had opportunities, you know, you've seen him at linebacker, you've seen him at special teams. I didn't see anything new or exciting out of him this year. And while he has a ton of special team snaps on his resume, um, I just, I, I think Rich Passaccio wanted to go in a different direction, maybe somebody a bit more physical on that spot. So didn't c- come as a surprise to me. Hope he catches on somewhere. You know, obviously he was a really great Packer, um, you know, consummate professional, those sort of things. So you hope he catches on, but that definitely did not surprise me at this point. Speaking of special teams, I'm not going to ask if we're nervous about Mason Crosby yet, because we'll have our answer by tomorrow. So we'll just leave that up to the gods. But how confident are you or how comfortable would you be if the Packers had to go roll out Ahmed out there? Because he seemingly kicked pretty damn well from the moment he's become a Packer. The very first time I saw him kick a ball, I was like, obviously going from Burkich to Ahmed. I'm like, oh, that is a lot different. Like it just (laughs) came off of his foot much cleaner, much more accurately. There was a different sound to it. Like it it just, it felt a lot different. I thought that's saying a ton, right? Like Burkich wasn't that great, but like you, you felt like they like, okay, they have, they actually have somebody here. Burkich never felt that way. He didn't have long kickoffs. He wasn't accurate on his field goals. It just never felt like there was anything there. Ahmed is totally different. And I tweeted, I don't think this is going to happen. I don't hope that this is going to happen. But like, if you said there was like something shocking tomorrow that happened, what I would like potentially say is like, okay, maybe they just decided to move on from Crosby with an injury designation and keep on med. But to go back to your original question, how confident I would be, Aaron, I'm not confident in anything this special teams does <laughs> at all. I don't care if Mason Crosby's out there. Course, I don't care if they bring back Chris Jackie and Ryan Longwell or every <laughs> other kicker. Like, there is nothing that will give me any confidence in the special team tonight until I see them go out for a season and prove that they know how to play special teams. You know what? That is totally fair. There is <laughs> there is no you know, there's no response to that other than I totally get it, man. Yep. I totally get it. I'm right there with you. I said in my gut reactions after the last preseason game. Well, certainly looks like it's another season of holding your breath every single time any of the special teams units are out there. You know what I said a year ago at this time? You know what I said? I said, there's no way special teams could possibly get worse. I said that a year ago at the time. I'm like, there's no way special teams could possibly get worse. And they said, hold Hold all the beer, hold all the beer, all the beers, (laughs) all the beers. We will show you. And I, yeah, so I'm not even going to utter anything. Andy, we're not going to say that this year, are we? No, we're not going to say it. We know there's a franchise that can consistently find the bottom and then exceed it and go through it and just plow under it. It's the green Bay Packers and special teams. All right. Indeed. Uh, Andy, I can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, make sure you check out all his work with Pack a Day Podcast over there at Packer Report. The man covers the Green Bay Packers like a blanket. Andy, I can't thank you enough, man. I appreciate it as well.